Welcome to Beyond Grit, the podcast that seeks to create and foster a community of people who want to learn, develop, and employ the 10 powerful practices to gain a high-performance edge. Whether you're an athlete, a parent, a coach, or just someone looking to improve yourself, the Beyond Grit podcast shows you step-by-step how to reach your peak potential. The Beyond Grit podcast is based on the book Beyond Grit, written by Sandra Kampoff, PhD, founder, and CEO of Mentally Strong Consulting, and a professor at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Sindra, a keynote speaker and entrepreneur, is also a certified mental performance coach for professional athletes, executives, and championship teams from around the nation, including the NFL's Minnesota Vikings. Sindra's co-host is Tim McNiff, Emmy Award-winning news and sports journalist, strategic communications consultant, and storyteller for the National Sports Center. This is the Beyond Grit Podcast. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to the Beyond Grit Podcast, episode 26. I am Tim McNiff, alongside PhD Stinder Kampoff, certified mental performance coach, keynote speaker, esteemed professor at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and founder and CEO of Mentally Strong Consulting, which provides keynotes and trainings to business and sports teams seeking to help you, your staff, and your athletes how to gain the high performance edge. You can contact Stinder Kampoff via email at Sidra at SidraCampoff.com or through me at TimMcNiff.com slash contact. And with that, would you help me welcome the one, the only, the eighth wonder of the world, Dr. Sidra Kampoff. Oh, you're awesome, Tim. I'm so grateful to have another week where we get to record another podcast. I am too in these unsettled times. And I, I think when we launched this, I think back to when we launched this, we thought, you know, there's 52 chapters. And if we do one a week, that will play out to exactly one year. So at 26, in the fifth practice, we are at the exact halfway point of the book. Could we have ever imagined back then we would be doing this podcast in the middle of a pandemic virus? Uh, no. <laughs> we couldn't imagine it. And it is perfect that we're talking about practice number five during this time, which is dominating what we can control, because there are so many things we cannot control right now, like how long this is going to last, or the media, or our, our family, <laughs> or, uh, you know, the people who are following the regulations or not. So um, I think this is meant to be that we're talking about this right now for people. I do too, and I'm happy to have this conversation with people out there. And we did some things a little bit differently. Uh, we went on uh, LinkedIn. And we talked about the fact that, that we were doing this, and I tried to make people aware of this and, and the podcast and the fact that we talked about in our last, uh, that you had done a, um, a webinar and got a, you've got another one coming up. And um, really just trying to make people aware that there's a resource out there, there's help out there. And you always say that you can't take a day off when training the brain, but it's at times like this when I find myself parroting you and saying things to people as I see them struggling. So let me just ask you, how are things in your household? Because you have a new reality. You have two kids distance learning. Yeah. You know, um, I think about my journey into this. So I was just taking a step back last night. I'm like, well, it was it three weeks ago that the governor said, you know, no school. Um, I'm like, is that two weeks ago? I don't know. My dates are kind of, um, great. Yeah, I'm not sure. It feels like a little bit of like a Groundhog Day, right? Yep. But my first three days after that, I felt a lot of fear and I felt a lot of anxiety and just overwhelm. And there was a moment on a Wednesday night, every Wednesday I do uh, just a quick video and I put it on social. And my 
topic was about choosing gratitude over fear. And that just did it for me. I was like, you know, I'm tired of the last couple of days. Just there's just so many uncertain, so many things that are uncertain. And for me, I mean, uh, the way that I get a lot of my energy is speaking. And so all of that has been canceled for a while. So I just had to really redirect my energy into something that um, like a new project, something that I'm really excited about. And I think since I've done that, I've, it's, I've, I've been feeling a lot better and we're able to balance things here. Uh, you know, my husband's a principal, so he's been uh, the last couple of days on zoom calls, like <laughs> 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm like, well, we need some breaks because we're all on zoom, right? We're all on phone and uh, uh, we have almost too much screen time. Uh, but that's that's what we're doing here. We're working to really, you know, make sure this is working for us, not against us, meaning our mind. How about you? How's it going over there? Um, I, as we speak, this is day 12 of my second self-imposed uh, isolation as a family. That's yeah. when we brought our, our daughter home from uh, Manhattan. I'm happy to report that she is not shown any of the classic symptoms or signs since she's been here Wonderful. she believes that she may have had it and gone through it but it just didn't manifest itself in a serious way when she was living in manhattan uh weeks ago and uh, we don't know you know until we can get mm -hmm. tested and see whether you have the virus or not or you've right. got you know that so so we we don't know but um well i'll just say this we're recording this on a saturday morning and i think that both my girls are under the impression that they're on some sort of extended vacation yeah. Since they're no longer in school and right. one has been laid off and the other one has now been too. Um, mm. uh, there's a new reality coming on Monday because uh, just because they're here doesn't mean they can't contribute. Uh, and so that conversation's coming. Um, <laughs> we're, he we're healthy. My wife continues to work. Uh, and uh, for me personally, I have had um, two uh, clients asked to suspend the relationship. Three actually. And I said that, you know, it would, would, would we be doing this if money was not an object? And they said, well, no. And I said, well, then let's continue to, to work. I said, I'd still like to continue to provide value to you with the, with the thought that we're going to get through this. And when we do get through this, we'll pick up, pick up to where it was. And I said, and I'm not worried about the money right now. I said, if I was just doing these things for, for the money, I could have been doing other things. So, right. um, so I'm, I'm thankful for my clients who are still in a position where they can still uh, honor their commitments. And, and I just want to help those who are going through a bad time, still give them something of value to help them get through this. And I think that that will only strengthen our relationship in the long term. Absolutely. And I think it's about serving and just being there for people at this point, right? So um, that's honorable. Yeah, I'm sure everybody can feel something related to like well, how both of us are experiencing it. And I think there's so many people who are unemployed, like your two daughters. Um, so, you know, it's like still maintaining the positive attitude and uh, knowing that this too shall pass. And just thinking about how you can grow and learn during this time, I think is really important so that you put your attention to something that's more productive than feeling sorry for yourself. And that's what I, um, I just got a text message from an athletic coach who watched the webinar this, this morning. And he said, um, you know, I just watched your webinar this morning. Perfect timing is I found myself like loathing and self pity last night. Um, I'm now back to the now and what opportunities today that is that presents, you know, and I think that's, 
we have to feel what we're feeling right now. We can't just push it aside and all these emotions, um, you know, we need to feel them. And I think it's like, well, can you turn your attention to something that's really going to help you during this time, I think is most important. Yeah. And you talked about moving on to a project where you could get something of benefit out of that. And I have had enough conversations going on, working on projects that are, are very exciting, quite, quite frankly. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be at this point, but thankful to have the opportunity, thankful to have a reason to uh, stay positive and keep looking forward. And, and I'm trying to do what you suggest in the book and in practice five, which is I'm trying to dominate the controllables and the, uh, the the thought process for, for practice five is the world's best dominate what they have control over their attitude, preparation and effort instead of what they cannot. And you have uh, like expanded my world to where now I listen to people talk and I, you can't sit there and preach at everybody, but I am thankful for what I've learned uh, in the process so far and thankful for the tools that you've given me. And I hope that the people out there who are listening to us today are experiencing, um, similar enlightenment. Yes. Yeah. I've been really working to do that too. And um, I, you know, I've been kind of expanding my thoughts on what I can control, but you know what? All of that comes down to mindset. Like mindset is the only thing I can control and all of my mindset powers, my attitude, my preparation, my effort, you know, but all it comes down to is, is my perspective and what I'm seeing and the meaning that I'm making out of everything. Well, we talked about last time in chapter 25, and this is, as you said before, it's so ironic and, and thankfully so fitting that we are having this discussion uh, now. And chapter 25 was believe in the best case scenario. And I know for a lot of people, that was probably a really difficult thing to do. And, and for our homework, um, you said do three things. Think of a worst case scenario, a best case scenario. And what's your my uh, scenario? How to better yourself? And um, talk about the assignment of that homework and what you were hoping people would get out of the exercise. So our mind can automatically go to the worst case scenario, especially right now, because uh, there's so much uncertainty and fear. And, you know, our, your mind is really here to keep you safe, not help, help you be a high performer or a peak performer or help you feel happy or fulfilled. So we, that's why we really have to train it. And um, the worst case was you know, during this time, your mind can automatically goes to the worst case. I think about somebody who's laid off, Tim, and it might be, you know, I'm never going to get a job. <laughs> I'm going to be unemployed for another. I may, I may lose my house. I might lose my house, right? Worst case. Um, best case is, you know, what's the best thing that could ha happen from this? Um, and that helps us stay optimistic and keeps us going. But the my scenario is somewhere in between. And what I intended to describe related to that is more about the things you can control. Um, what can you control in this situation? And you can control like bettering yourself if you're unemployed. You can control like learning more about your passion and uh, you know, what is it that you want to do next and trying to find, you know, the sweet spot between what people pay you for and your passion and your calling. Right. And that, that helps you be more fulfilled. So I think it's about taking control and still focusing on things that you can control. That's what the my scenario really is. It is. And it's seeking out the opportunity. I mean, in every setback, you know, there is opportunity and you just have to find a way to look for it. And that's what this, uh, this book and this, uh, this whole line of thinking is really all about. So that's what chapter 25 was believe in the best case scenario. And as um, you think this woman had a plan when she wrote this book, it just is weird this way because chapter 25 was, believe in the best case scenario 
Then chapter 26 is design a contingency plan. So we're going from here's your inspiration, believe, to this is how you do it. And and Cinder's digging into the toolbox, and here we go. Let's just roll up our sleeves and let's get to work, right? Yeah, this is a great tool. For sure. I'm, and I was thinking, wow, I'm really excited about this chapter. I'm really excited about this topic because I think it really will help people. I, I do too. And, and it's, I love, I was having a discussion with a, a gentleman about you and about your content. And um, I won't name the organization, but, but their whole way of business is, is getting in front of people. And they're kind of like, well, what do we do now? And I'm like, well, you can still get in front of people. And as a matter of fact, they need you now more than ever. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about sales. Just give them value. Help them now when they need it most. And and so I said, this is what's beautiful about you and about what you've designed here is because it, it you, you give us hope and then you tell us, okay, now that you've got hope, roll up your sleeves and prepare to do a little work. And if you do the work, hope becomes a lot easier to, to obtain. Um, so in Chapter 26, design a contingency plan. For the practical part of this, you share a story about when you were one of your attempts at the Boston Marathon, when all of a sudden you're getting all sorts of warnings about something that is completely out of your control. So when you train for a marathon, you know, you sometimes you train for, you know, six, seven months. At least I do. You know, you're really kind of ramping up the miles. And this particular year, I was more fit than ever. So I was really ready to run a personal best. And as the day approached, we learned that it was supposed to be really hot at Boston. And the Boston Marathon is in April, so typically it's not very hot, right? And the day we get there, um, actually it was the day before the race, so second day we were there, we are you know, prepping, getting mentally ready, fueling our bodies. We got all of these messages from the race director that it was going to be like 90 degrees. And the messages were you know, we're all sitting around eating dinner and they just kept on coming in and in and in all day. And so it was like, you know, if you're, if you don't want to run the race the next day, you can defer, you know, just make sure you, you, the next email was, you know, take extra precautions and da, 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 da. Right. And I found myself getting so mad. Like I was furious because I had spent seven months training for this race. And then all of a sudden, you know, I wasn't going to be able to run very fast. And we know that, you know, uh, race performance for a marathon typically is really good when it's like 50 to 70 degrees, right? Like that's the sweet spot, you know, 60, somewhere around there, not 90, (laughs) you know? So my friends are trying to decide if they're going to run it or not. How are they going to make adjustments? And I remember walking uh, across the street from the, like the restaurant to our hotel. And I remember the exact moment where I was just like (laughs) so mad at mother nature and I stopped and I just was like, Syndra, what are you doing right here? You know, like dominate the controllables. And I caught myself. I realized that I was reacting, not responding. And I was focusing on all the things I couldn't control. I knew that I needed to intervene with myself. And so I thought, okay, well, what do I know about what's going to work right now? What kind of tool can I use? Like, how do I get my mind right And uh, I studied with um, a guy named Dr. Dan Gould when I was in graduate school and um, very like one of the leaders within my field. And he did all these studies in around 2000 where he interviewed Olympians about like which Olympians did really well at the games and which ones didn't. And one of the things that he found was that those that 
did well, that did better, that meddled, had a contingency plan. Because there's so many things at the Olympics that you can't control. Weather is one of them. And uh, when they had a contingency plan, they were, they were ready. They were more like um, confident and focused. And so uh, my plan was like, I wrote it out, right? I wrote out what's an imperfection that could go wrong. How am I going to respond? And one of them was heat. And I decided to, okay, every water stop, every mile was like a glass of water over my head, two drinks of Gatorade, you know, two glasses. I looked like um, so wet by the end of that race. But guess what? I ran my best time at the Boston Marathon. I got 89th for women. And I was the only one of my friends that actually raced well. And I could thrive in the heat because I had my mindset right, right? And so it was really fun because people come from all over the world to run this, right? And then just to know that, like, I was in the top 100 in this race because I mastered this, it was just a really fun, like, outcome. Well, it's, it's a fabulous story. And to think that you were top 100 in the world at the Boston Marathon is itself an accomplishment. But staying here with um, how you chose to attack this and you talk about in the book you grabbed a sheet of paper in your hotel room and wrote down imperfection number one and then you have my planned reaction or strategy imperfection number two imperfection number three so let's talk about what is a problem and what is an imperfection so to me an imperfection is just something that um might be undesirable right like maybe like a blemish it's just something I chose to call it that because we think that things need to be perfect, right? Like, and sometimes we have this expectation that it's going to be perfect and you can expect things to go well, but I think you need to plan for things that might be blemishes or imperfections. And um, a problem to me seems like the end of the world, whereas an imperfection is like, okay, I can handle anything that comes my way in this belief that I can adjust and adapt and Uh, Maybe even having that as a mantra, like I can adjust and adapt to anything that comes my way. So when I coached uh, high school football, I started doing this thing where, um, so so I had two primary tailbacks and one would only be on the field at a time. But we'd be in the middle of a practice and I would all of a sudden, I would say, coach, whatever, whatever. Uh, Jimmy just uh, blew out his knee. He's not available. So here comes whatever. And, you know, and I kept, throwing uh, other kids in with the first group nice. because you never knew when a kid was going to get sick, fail a test, get in a fight at school and become ineligible. You know, you had to, and well, the last thing you wanted was the other 10 guys to be looking at that new guy and going, this is a problem. They yeah. have to look at it and say, we've planned for this. We've trained for this. This is not a problem. So I love the fact that you are, um, you're calling these imperfections. Mm. And this is one of these things I see an opportunity to look at something and say to myself and my family, this is not a problem. This is an imperfection. Nice. So we, we have an opportunity now to rephrase this whole thing, right? Yes. So my question is, do you find that there are kind of quote unquote common imperfections, some you hear more or some that you've come to experience more than others? Um, I think weather is definitely an imperfection, particularly when you're in sport. I think um, making a mistake is an imperfection and something that everybody should plan for, particularly in sport, because that's what I think that actually gets in the number one thing that gets in people's way, just like to perform at their best is their ability to deal with mistakes. 
Um, I think in life and in business, I think sometimes it's like self-doubt or lack of confidence. Um, I mean, even thinking about what's happening right now, all right, and you have to adjust and, and move your business in a different way, right, to be able to survive during this time and may, maybe thrive. But, you know, maybe the first option that you're going to choose um, isn't going to work out perfectly. So what's going to be something else that you want to do? And I think the word imperfection takes the emotion out of it. Um, I saw an interview, um, Tim, with PJ Fleck. Dude, love that mm, guy. <laughs> I do too. I always have. And nothing, in, nothing in the time he's been here has, has caused me one time to think that he wasn't everything I was hoping he was going to be before he arrived. But I yeah. digress. Phenomenal. And um, he was on the Pat McVee show. And I love Pat McVee because he is a punter and punters are people too, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, um, I heard him on Pat McVee's uh, pot or Pat. Did I say Pat McVee? Is that right? Pat? Well, I'm not sure if it's McVee or McVeigh, but go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, anyway, um, but he said like, you know, right now what we're experiencing isn't a problem. It's just a situation. And I, I like that it, even if, you know, you just instead of saying problem, why not use situation or imperfection, right? And um, our language makes a difference because the language that we use creates our experiences. And then that's how we make meaning, right? So um, I did a, a tweet yesterday or a couple of days ago that was like, how, are you saying like lockdown or are you saying, you know, safe at home? <laughs> or are you saying like crisis um, or terrible instead of, you know, you could say, focused on a new project or mission or purpose. And instead of, um, you know, uh, stuck at home, how about safe at home? So our language really does make a difference. And I think that's an example of like why we just want to say imperfection and not problem or a situation, not problem. So the, the chapter is design a contingency plan. And, and um, talk about that whole thing of a, a contingency plan. So how do you how do you design and what what is the uh, the object of of I mean we know it's it's to handle when the bad things come up so how would someone go about designing a contingency plan? So to me, what a contingency plan is just like a plan to deal with the unexpected. And so um, what you could do is you could brainstorm four or five things that could get in your way of being at your best. And you might even do this when you think about like on Monday. What are what are four or five things that could get in your way of being at your best? And maybe it's a Social media, distraction on social media. Maybe it's uh, your kid trying to pull you in a couple different directions. You got to work and then you got to like homeschool, right? And maybe the imperfection is you might feel frustrated. What's going to be your planned reaction or strategy? Um, and that's really what a contingency plan is, is to think about, okay, what are the things that could get in my way? And then what am I going to do when that happens? And when you plan it out, you have more confidence. You have this belief that you can handle anything that comes your way. And I think that's the power of a contingency plan. Um, and, um, you know, then you can really not just react, but respond. And, and I think uh, going back to the, you know, the football analogy as I had it, it was always great to be able to look at kids that you're coaching and say, look, we plan for this. We're yeah. okay. You know, yeah. there's something to be said for that. I mean, even if you take it in, in a anywhere else, instead of dwelling on the problem or expecting something that, you know, oh, gosh, what next? To say, no, 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 no. We're okay. We plan for this. Remember, this is what we do. And everybody's anxiety level goes down. Everybody's ability to go to perform goes up because it's yeah. not adding anything other than that 
Plus, I think then there's that mental aspect. And this is just me. So correct me at any time since you're the expert. Um, you know, your 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 attitude is is power. It's empowering rather than disabling. Yes, and I think as the leader, it. You, we ha- you have to be careful um, the language that you use, right? And so I like what you just said about, like, we got this, we planned for this. One of the things I'm thinking about is, like, what I've been seeing in education uh, the last couple of weeks where principals or administrators you have this message of, like, we got this. And I think that's really important because um, if you as a leader have more your master in your mindset, right, that's going to trickle down. And if you have this belief that, hey, we planned for this, no problem. We got it right. You're also giving your, your people more confidence and uh, that they have your back. So as a leader, that's why it's really important to think about a contingency plan. Um, and maybe you have a big performance coming up uh, where you have to do a big presentation or maybe just during this time of like uncertainty and change, uh, writing out that contingency plan can really be beneficial. And, and maybe you're, you're thinking, well, um, as I've heard from clients, well, now I can't do that what I was going to do before. And I was, are you sure you can't do it? Or do you need to just think about doing it in a different way? You can still reach people. It's just, how are you going to reach people? So let's talk about homework out of, uh, out of chapter 26. So the homework is to write a contingency plan for yourself. So think about, um, and maybe it's just during this time that the things that could get in your way this week. um, And um, what will you do? if you experience them. And you'll find that just by writing out the imperfections, maybe you think about a particular day where you really want to be at your best, or maybe you just think about this week, what could get in your way of being at your best, and then write out what's your plan when you experience that imperfection. And you'll find that uh, just practicing that this week will help you be more confident um, and be able to uh, respond with purpose and intention. And what is our high-performance power phrase? I expect the best, but prepare for anything. I respond with purpose and intention. I know I can handle anything that comes my way. I believe that about you. Do you have a gritty person of the week? Um, this week, Tim, I've been doing a lot of like coaching. So I do um, coaching for athletes, but executives and um, just business people. And one of the things I've heard as um, uh, just uh, as an underlying maybe commonality between all of them is just this week adjusting to um, teaching the, your, your kids, <laughs> right? Homeschooling your yeah, kids right. on task as well as like you doing your job. And I want to um, give a shout out to all those leaders who are really um, – being flexible during this time and compassionate with the people that uh, work for them. Um, Obviously you have to hold them to a certain standard um, to make sure they're getting their work done. But um, I talked to a a bank president this week and I was so inspired about how he was leading his team and just like showing his team some compassion at the beginning of the call, you know, each week to saying, Hey, we got you. You know, we realize that um, you're trying to balance all these things and, you got it, you know, just really being positive and um, being empathetic, I think is the great is a good word to explain what I'm seeing is mm-hmm. the leaders who are really like putting themselves in in their worker shoes as they're trying to d- adjust and balance everything and everybody's home. And, um, you know, it just provides a unique challenge. But 
there's also so much to be grateful for, you know, that, <laughs> you know, we do have uh, somewhere to, to, to be and that we can be with people that we love. Not everybody as is fortunate. And take advantage of that time and that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, I should have pointed out before I asked uh, Cinder to give her gritty person of the week that we discussed this before we went on and we both were sort of, well, how do we, how do we say anything other than the, the medical professionals who are on the front line? And we, yes. we, we both, I, I, I should have said that going into you and I apologize for that because um, we, we both are, are just absolutely humbled and amazed by what we are witnessing uh, by the ingenuity and the dogged determination and the expertise and the, 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 the determination to go on when you are losing people and uh, but you're, you're keeping people at the same time. So they're very much in the heat of this. It's not lost on us that, that they are our, our, our absolute heroes and our gritty people of the week. Uh, but uh, I, my example for this week too, is somebody who, uh, who made a very difficult decision and in making that decision, um, at least in the interim has, has cost him uh, his job. And I'm talking about the uh, captain of the aircraft carrier USS theater Roosevelt is captain by the name of Brett, Crozier, at least he was a captain, and understand that there are only five aircraft carriers in the United States Navy, and other nations aspire to have these, but I mean, we, we lead the world in this, and we really influence a lot of power and influence in the world because of these aircraft carriers, because they put them in positions where they're basically a mobile city with the potential to do a lot of damage, yeah. and you can't become an aircraft carrier captain unless you are the best of the best of the best at every stop along the way so he had the coronavirus running through his crew and he made a plea to the government saying i need to get into port i need to get this crew off because we're not at war i can't jeopardize my crew and um he was able to go into guam and and get the ship into port where his people have been unloaded and he has hundreds of sailors in very tight uh, um, proximity to each other. So the, the, this, is the, this is a Petri dish in a large scale for this virus. We don't know what the long-term implications are going to be, but after the Navy said he initially would face no sort of retribution for what he did, um, he was removed from his position by the acting Navy secretary because wow. the Navy secretary said that he, he exercised poor judgment and that he made his pleas public. And I guess... I don't know. We, we don't know yet. We will over time. Right. My guess is that Captain Crozier didn't wake up and decide to just make the public aware that he had a major problem on his ship because that's not a good thing for him or the country or the Navy. I think he did this because somebody or somebody, you know, people along the, the, the chain of command were not responding. So he took the extraordinary step of breaking outside the chain of command and ultimately cost him his job. But if he did it, to save lives, that was the price he was willing to pay. Wow. So his crew stood up and cheered him as he was walking off the, the ship for the last time. You have and to I, yeah, so I don't know what's going to happen to him going forward. But wow. when you're a, an ace fighter pilot and you're first in your class at Annapolis and you're all the different things that Captain Crozier is, he's going to land on his feet. It's not like this guy is going to you know, go destitute. But we just lost one of the best of the best of the best at what they do because somebody was embarrassed. And, and that's not a good thing. And I applaud Captain Crozier for being willing to do whatever he thought was in the best interest of this country and the, the men and women that were put under his command. 
what I'm hearing in that story is like that he chose to act in an ethical way, like based on his values over the chain of command. And, uh, you know, that's like, um, he was really thinking about the people that he served, right? And keeping them safe. So, <laughs> wow, powerful story, Tim. It is, it is an amazing thing. So um, things to put on our grit board. I think it'd be powerful to put on your grip board, expect the best, but prepare for anything. And, and man, you might want to just put that into several places around your house. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things to keep an eye on. Uh, listen, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for this time. I can't thank you for joining us. The Beyond Grit podcast is all about helping you reach your peak potential. We'd love it if you check out this and the other great content that you're going to find on the NSC blog page, Beyond the Bench, where you can leave us your questions and comments. You can find the Beyond Grit podcast on Spotify and an Apple podcast where we encourage you to rate and review us so we can reach and help empower more people with Dr. Kampoff's brilliant content. Uh, as always, it's an honor for me uh, to be joining you on this journey. You are the best at what you do, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. You're so good at this. <laughs> That's our running joke. She says that to humor me, but we all know who the brains are, are in this operation, oh. and, and I'm, I'm good with that, too. So uh, final words on the way out, Sindra? This week, my friends, don't take a day off of training your mind. Make sure this is working for you, not against you. Stay gritty and be mentally strong. Be well, everybody. Take care of yourselves and your family. We value you. We want you to be well. And we look forward to reaching you next time on this, the Beyond Grit Podcast. Thank you for engaging with the Beyond Grit Podcast, where we help you reach your peak potential. You can find past episodes and other great content on the NSC blog page, Beyond the Bench, where you can also post your questions and comments. The Beyond Grit Podcast is a production of the National Sports Center and Beyond the Bench.